This is the Enneagram 8 Podcast, and we're here to take you inside the armor. This moving towards, this one we didn't just make up as we went along. This one is baked right into our brains. Jerome Lubba, who I've spoken about before in previous episodes, who specializes in neuroscience and how brains work, says this about us eights. People with high efficiency in eight energy use the part of the brain that deals with fight. This is in the brainstem. We are willing to engage, step forward, move towards an idea of a potential threat or conflict because our subconscious is willing to do fight. We have an inbuilt fight response. It's reactionary, instantaneous. There's an immediacy to it. The goal of every brain is survival. So for those of us who are super high in eight, we learned along the way that engaging and moving towards a threat is always safer than staying still and waiting for it to come find us. We've spoken to enough of you to know that that doesn't look the same for all of us. We're going to consider different things a threat, and we're going to react more quickly to some things than other things. Some of you are going to be lightning fast with your reactions, and others are going to wait until they have amassed all the information that will give them the upper hand when they go and engage that thing. But that's the common thing. We engage that thing one way or another. I think when we're less healthy, we don't even question that. We feel the threat and our feet are already moving, running straight at it. That can change along the way. Trauma can teach us to actually retreat deep, deep, deep inside and become untouchable in a way. That's not ideal either. But I think there's a point we can reach where we actually have a say in whether we engage the thing or not. We give ourselves permission sometimes to say, no, maybe this time I can sit that one out. Maybe I make it a bigger threat than it actually is. Erin commented this week that I always seem poised and ready for a fight. She said she's worried about that, that she wishes I could just be. I'm the watchdog, and watchdogs often get kicked in the ribs. It's definitely shaped me. And there's a longing in me to, I don't know, just learn to be. My snarling at the doorway, it saved lives before. How can I discount that? There's a place for that, but not everybody's an intruder. It's so paradoxical that I can both throw my arms wide open and let every stranger in, and at the same time kind of have a knife blade tucked away somewhere just in case. I'm all at once open and guarded. How does that even work? Okay, shadow layer number four. This one I called initiation. It's that eight drive to move towards something. It has to do with our security. So there's something we do to protect ourselves that involves moving forward instead of... Well, it's because we're taking control and we're not allowing someone else to put the control on us. I think so, yeah. So other types will go along or they'll retreat, but we move towards. And so initiation is more to do with that. Did you want to read the first quote? So Rizzo says, they expand a lot of energy, having the vision, taking initiatives, constantly making all the decisions and prodding others to implement them. There's probably the underlying piece of, I need the control, but then I see the whole picture pretty quickly. And so it's easier to initiate and to take control of something when you see the whole picture. We're just crazy quick with our decision making. So we're super decisive, which obviously would then lead to you being the first one at the starting line to take off. Other people are going to weigh and consider and And not get clarity. Well, we're ready to jump in and start. Yeah, exactly. So that's just a reality, I think, that eights would be the ones that 
arrive at the vision of what a thing should be a little more quickly than others. What about the taking initiative? Do you take initiative in that area? I feel a sense of what should be done in my body. There is a gut sense of this is the way a thing should be. And because of my tri-type, it's very tailored to what a thing should be for me. (laughs) (laughs) I had a vision for our home. I designed our home and I had a, a very clear and tangible sense of how it was supposed to feel. That had more to do with it than anything practical, really. It started with a feeling. So, (laughs) yeah, no, I'm trying to understand this because I also, we have very, very different homes. Mine is is quite different from yours, but I have the same, it is a feeling for me. Like I, I want to feel cozy and there's a certain feeling I get from it Mm -hmm. and it would just be different than your feeling from your home. And you work the practicality in after, but it starts with an overall sense of like what it's supposed to feel like. And then you start to go, okay, well, that doesn't make sense. And that doesn't. And then suddenly you end up with your final product. But all of that happens pretty quick. Yes. So my process for our home was to scour magazines and I went through hundreds and hundreds and I would just flip through a page until I got to one that felt like home. It just felt right. And then I ripped them all out. I ended up with this pile of things that felt right. And from there, I was like, okay, I just got to set about creating something that matches this feeling. And of course, every component of it had to be all me. (laughs) So there ended up being a whole lot of honestly finding things by the side of the road and going, yep, that fits. That homeless <laughs> item needs to come with me. <laughs> and mine's like all clean and straight yes, lines. Yes, very <laughs> polished. Yes. My home is super rustic. and But so cozy to be it's in. It's cool. So it's cozy like to cool, be in. It's like a cool, interesting space And a very warm in. feeling yeah. when you walk and in. And nobody yeah. else has that home. Yeah. Nobody's nope. ever seen anything super like unique. it before. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, so I took the initiative of design and it all happened very, very quickly. And I made almost all the decisions. My husband is a really careful thinker. And so he fine tuned everything, but it only came after my flurry of activity to get the thing going. And then I produced But he fine tuned your vision. He did. Yeah. yeah. And I'm okay with that. That's okay. As long as it's still aligned with the vision I had, yeah. more or less, I am able to bend a little. But um, yeah, that process is pretty quick. The joke in my family used to be like, if I saw a wall and I visioned it a different color, it would be that way before my husband got home from work, <laughs> right? I used to paint anything and everything whenever, yeah, whenever it felt like it needed to be something different. Yeah, when you're ready to make yeah. the change, you just make it happen really it quickly. Yeah. Well, that's it's why- It's usually I, a same day event. <laughs> I shared with you guys my basement gym. That was a one day situation. Yeah, was me going into the basement going, eh, nah, this just doesn't cut it. And then by the next day, it was a fully kitted out gym with a mural and everything (laughs) all in one day. So, you know, when it kicks in, wow. We move quickly. Yeah, full throttle. I think that's really hard for my husband who's a six because he really does need to think things through a lot of the time. And when it's something he doesn't care about, it's fine. But when I get a vision and I want to jump, he usually needs he pulls me back in and wait, makes me wait a little bit sometimes. So he puts the brakes on you. Yeah. And we made better decisions because we took really took our time. Mm-hmm. To Do you know what's hard about better. being married to a nine? It takes him so long to catch up that I've already started implementing it before he offers his opinion. So yeah. I, I will find out 
after already being halfway involved in something that he had a reservation about it. And there is nothing that makes me more (laughs) frustrated and angry than that he didn't just speak up to begin with. Is it because he hasn't gotten there yet? Or is it because he doesn't want to stop you or slow you down? Because I get the same thing with Derek, with my husband. But he, he will absolutely put the brakes on if he feels strongly about something. But he also really likes to make me happy he has a quick knee-jerk he does reaction though Aiden doesn't right honestly and they say that nines process super slowly no my husband processes quickly he's just usually on the other end and we have to kind of get to the middle right but he does sometimes say nothing and it comes out later that he didn't want to or didn't like piece of it so he's putting a break on himself yeah so Aiden doesn't the break's already there and he has to convince himself to say it What's missing with us is I need to build in a Q&A session before I get started on something where I present him with the idea, give him 24 hours, get his full view. <laughs> so an example is the other day I sent a really important and emotional email, like a, a heavy weighty email, and I had him read it really quickly before sending. And then I just pressed send after he kind of nodded a few times and said, sounds good. The next morning, he woke up and he was angry that I'd sent it. Because he'd thought of things you needed to change. He thought it through and he, and this is what made me so enraged. He basically just let me have it for this thing that he had approved of and I had gone and sent. And I was like, how dare you? How dare you? (laughs) You nodded your head and said, yes. (laughs) How dare you? So you need to be building the 24-hour rule everywhere. Yeah, so I cannot place it all on him or I am proving that I am not at all a student of my husband. I need to build into my brain. and know that he takes longer. Yes. And that, that yes in that it moment means nothing. Absolutely yeah. more time than a quick scan of an email. He's a gut person too. He needs to sit with it in his gut for a lot longer than I do. And then he will have a sense, no, something about it is like that sentence there needed to go and the tone there needed to change. And he's always right because he knows what's going to set someone off. I don't have that ability and don't care enough. And it did cause hurt in precisely the ways he knew it would. So if I'd listened to him and not hurried to initiate that particularly... might have gone down a little more gently. Exactly. So that's the pro and con of being married to someone who's like one big brake pedal. (laughs) (laughs) I think any eight is probably married to a brake pedal, unless you're married to an eight, maybe a seven. I think a seven would be like, go for it. It's gonna turn out. (laughs) Oh, yes. How about initiating with your group of people? Yeah, it's always me. I initiate all the... Actually, it's really funny because I say that I initiate all the stuff, but I have one friend who moved into our neighborhood. And when she moved into our neighborhood, she was putting out invitations for things. And at this point, I ran block parties and I ran, you know, any any type of event, summer, spring cleanup, you know, we initiated everything pretty much at our home. And I remember the first time they initiated like a big chili cook-off at their house. And I went in and I went right up to her and I was like, thank you for being another initiator. (laughs) I love that you meet me at this place and it's not all on my plate anymore. And I think there's something about people who initiate and are capable. You need both. I need both, right? And people that can pull off something really equally great and then... I don't feel like it's it's not being done well or I should have done it myself or right. And so Aaron did those things. And even now, 
she will drag me out and we'll go camping in the middle of nowhere and she still initiates and she's probably one of my only friends that initiates i have another nine friend she's she's really learning who i am and she understands that i need her to initiate at times and i feel really really loved when she does that because i know it's not easy for her right it's she's really taking notes hard. and implementing what she's yeah. learned yeah it's really hard for her and it's not her forte and so when she does it i know the energy that that took out of her and i i just appreciate it so much more other than that i am always the initiator uh yeah i also definitely am the one that makes things happen all the yearly traditions were started because i just took the reins and said okay we need to um scatter fun across the calendar year <laughs> and so we need a gift exchange here and we need a camping trip here and we need a new year's party here and a snowshoe here <laughs> and that was all my plan but there's something that a friend pointed out to me about the way i do that so what I do to guard against a feeling of hurt or rejection is I organize it, I throw it out there, and the way I frame it is, so I'm going to be doing this thing. Come along if you want. Do yeah. you see the difference? This one friend said what she longed to hear from me and has very rarely heard is, it won't be the same without you. Would right. you please come? <laughs> like, yeah. look you in the eye and intentionally say, I, I made here. this because you were in my mind and yeah. I pictured you there and I want you there. And what happens clearly is if she says, no, I can't come. I'm, I feel rejected. Mm. I feel stupid for having like put, put my out heart there. out there, yeah. like that I wanted her there. And so what I do is I kind of go, hey, come if you want. I'm doing it anyway. Yeah. Like, I'll and, be here at this time. Come or don't me. come. Like, come or don't come. It doesn't yes, matter. And then yeah. people feel like it wasn't because you wanted them there. It's exactly. just you throwing out an open invitation. Precisely. Um, so I have a really big issue with people that cancel. I feel like I take it really personally. It's like a hot kind of irritation. And it's because I had a an imprint of what it was supposed to feel like with those dynamics. So if I had six names and six personalities in my head, I just immediately was able to build a feeling of what it was going to feel like if they were all there. And if one of them pulls out last minute, and I'm okay with an upfront, no, I can't come. It's when they pull out last minute and there's a cancellation. It's so jarring to me that I have to restructure this might be having seven because there's this forward-looking like ideal of what something is supposed to feel like. Yeah, I have the seven oh. too, but I don't. I don't feel like I do that same thing where I build an image. Yeah, there's people that are important, and if my important people can't make it, then this is the difference. I work with them to find the date. Right. I don't pick a date and ask people to come. I work a date with the people I want there and we work it out together. And maybe that's how I eliminate the risk is I do it with them so that they don't say, oh, we can't make that. Mm -hmm. I do it to some extent, actually, because my birthday, I throw my own birthday parties. I make sure that I've coordinated it with the key people. And once they've right. said yes to that date, then I open it up. And that way, if the other people can't, can't yeah. yeah cancel or can't i have predetermined to be okay because that key group is there you're a social eight how do you initiate in that big social you know communal movement way because i i've been in awe before of how you will organize your entire neighborhood it comes so naturally that i find it hard to think of as like a, a skill What's the process? I just think of an idea and I think that'd be really fun. And then I throw it out there to everybody. I tell them what we need and people come out and bring it. Like I don't provide everything, but if I am always the person to throw the big idea out and then say, can you help? 
And then people always rise to that challenge, but nobody says the big idea. And it's the same thing with school. Like when I took on the school council, our school is in a much more affluent neighborhood. I initiated, hey, this school needs $80,000 for a play structure. How can we do this? And everybody came forward and brought ideas and brought the support. Have you ever experienced being let down because people didn't rally? No. Okay, that's my premeditated fear already is that I would start something big and people wouldn't rise to the challenge and I deal with the frustration and hurt of not having had the charisma or the ability to rally and mobilize people and I'd be stuck feeling like an idiot. So if they don't rise to the challenge, I do it. On your own. On my own. Back to step one with (laughs) I am self-sufficient. But it's true, right? If I know that it's something that I am capable of doing, I will jump in. I will not if I do not feel 100% capable. I will I will shut up. Hold on. I also always say to our council, when we meet, I will say, are you on board? And I get a consensus right away. Because if, if nobody's stepping in to say, I have space for that, then I just shut it down. So I know right away whether or not it's going to be something that we can or can't do. Mm -hmm. I can't decide if it's your exuding that this is going to happen. That's part of what does it. People catch the fever. I think I'm really in tune to what motivates the families that I'm working with. So one of the things I know is... That's your three. The three maybe, yeah. But we couldn't do that same thing for just anything and get everybody on board. But I really know the hearts of our community is to help those in need. They don't get on board for just everyday fundraising. Like we can't engage people the same. But if I say we need this for these families, everybody's in. It's knowing the heart of where you're, the people you're working with too, right? And I can and never tell. This, oh, That's a blind spot, right? You have your finger on the pulse of communal drive and sentiment. You just do. And you always do. I have absolutely... Honestly, it's such so a maybe limit on you me. you shouldn't initiate and you should go to the people who are yes. the three in their tri-type and say, what about this? Yeah. Because we can really quickly yep. decide if that's, that's going like to fly or not. That's why I like being the second in command. I yeah. really do. I like to align with what someone else is doing that fits my inner thing and then just help with it. But to initiate for me, always risky. It's what? so risky. One of the panel podcasts recently, they talk about that, right? And everybody says they want to be the vice president. I did not relate to that at all. I want to be in charge. I want to call the shots. I don't want to do all the legwork underneath. I want to actually be the one making the decisions at yeah. the top. In your little world. In my little world. I don't want to answer to people. I, my biggest fear is being under control of someone that I don't respect or don't agree with. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, the communal response to that in that panel podcast was everybody said they just leave that job or they leave that piece, right? If they don't agree with the person that's mm-hmm. the boss. But I guess it'd be different if I worked with a boss who was incredibly open to taking my suggestions. No, we couldn't be more different in that regard. I have like anxiety just thinking about it. (laughs) I have anxiety about thinking about being under control of someone else. Right. I think we all have a longing in our blind spot. So there's something in me that really, really wishes I could experience that feeling of confidently rallying a group together and just having all the power to do it and the joy of seeing that all take shape, but it terrifies me. So I would say on the flip side of that, as much as I love that space, it's an incredibly frustrating space when you're not able to do it. 
when you see the path and then you know that you can't get the people to take that path. For me with my sexual, it's the same when I see the potential in somebody, right? And I've put all my effort into trying to show them the beauty that could be there and what's there. And they they don't rise to the challenge and they just don't want to make the change or say yes to... Or they're just comfortable in that space. Yeah, Yeah. then it hurts. It hurts extra. (laughs) Okay, so the next quote from Rizzo is that intimacy, therefore, can become a problem, even for average eights, because of that, it's all on me kind of resentment. So you and I talked about this, we had a heart to heart about the ache of wishing someone would come get us. Yeah, I think that I'm okay in the, I want to say public setting or the non- non-personal setting, but when it comes to my close group of people or my family, yeah. Like, I want someone else sometimes to just come get me. Or for it not to all be on my shoulders, that somebody else would say, hey, I can take that. And that rarely happens in my friends or my family. And I think part of it is we've set them up for expectation, right? Because we've always been the ones to take control. So I think some of my friends have said before, they they feel like I just know what needs to get done. So it's just easier to let me do it. Or they're worried to push against me because I might fight back. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a nine friend who heard me out on this because I think it, it's actually a fact that we initiate 95% of the time. But what she was saying is maybe what's happening there is that our friends who have not initiated or stopped initiating have seen us in that cycle that happens where if we are pursued in a way that we perceive as needy, then we pull away. And so she's like, it's like you've conditioned your friends to not go after you because you think it's gross. (laughs) And when she said that, I had to acknowledge that that is very much a possibility. But it feels like they've never even tried to begin with. But maybe I'm just rewriting history and maybe they did and I didn't notice. And then I don't know. I do think that if we maybe gave them a bit of space for a little bit more than our allotted time, because I think we jumped too fast. It's like me with my nine husband. You need to give people time to show that they're capable of that. their time that they need, not our time that we need, right? Because our time is, our, our timeline's way shorter. Oh, yeah. And that's when friends have surprised me. When I've taken more time, they usually do come through. It's just takes a lot longer than Mm -hmm. I would. It's hard too, because it puts me in a space of loneliness for a little bit too long. Mm -hmm. And then I feel a little bit awkward because I, that's probably needy and I don't like that. I think that's the problem. We're so uncomfortable sitting in that space that we just take action again. Absolutely. Right? Either we distract ourselves with some new initiative. (laughs) We go to five, right? We just shut that down and just not go there. And that's what I do a lot of the time. I I sit in five and and sometimes it's super necessary for me to heal a little bit there and give myself some time to talk to myself down Mm -hmm. and understand that we're, we're not all the same and we have to give people grace. Do we enable a pattern where it's assumed we'll initiate I think we do project self-reliance. We absolutely do. I had a friend once tell me that she just felt like I didn't need her. I had so many people. She was not important or just one of the people in my life, which which was sad to me because she was probably one of the most significant people in my life at the time. Yeah, it kind of surprised me and shocked me that she just had this attitude of like, well, you have so many friends. Mm -hmm. I'm just didn't assume I was that important, which says something about us, I think. Maybe I need to do a better job. Yeah, the feeling of um, like looking someone in the eye and being like, you are so important to me. I have spontaneous moments where the love in me wells up yes. and I pour it onto people. Yes. But it's not like something I go, okay, I can sense that they're feeling neglected. Go fetch them. 
go fetch them and tell them they are loved. That is not something that no, I, I want to do. Yeah, that's that when I go to five. Gross. I pull away because I actually feel vulnerable in that moment. Yes. And I feel like I might get rejected. So I end up pulling away. And then yeah. that's a terrible cycle to be in yeah. because they're already feeling me pull away. Right. Then they really feel me pull away. I think most humans love the structure and the consistency of a relationship. So they love to feel a security and a confidence that they will be gone and gotten if enough time has gone by. And that's true of me too. And me. The tricky thing is I'm not good at structure and following like some internal clock on when someone might be starting to feel neglected. So I let them down and they certainly am, are not trying back with me. So I, I do not feel like I'm gone and gotten truly I don't feel like people come and get me and so what that does is puts more of that self-autonomy thing in me where I'm like I don't need them anyway I'll make my own fun you know <laughs> yep I do feel it I do know when people feel me pull away mm -hmm. I do know when people feel like neglected but I get a little bit frustrated because I feel like I've been pouring into you can you turn that around a little bit so do you deliberately withhold for a while and see what they do and kind of test it out? I do. I don't, I wouldn't call it withholding. I say I withdraw. Right. I don't deliberately want to hurt those people at all. It's almost like self-preservation for my hurt. Mm -hmm. I pull away so that I can kind of manage my own hurt and I don't have the ability to pretend. If I'm with them, it's all awkward till I deal with that hurt. I'm feeling a lot of energy around this topic going on inside me because I think I'm being impacted by that a lot right, right now. Just right now in life, what's happening is I'm trying so hard to move towards a decision on how to live right now so that I'm not just sitting there like a schmuck as something terrible happens to me. I want to be moving, already moving in a direction with resolve and determination, autonomously, and by my own volition. So when the hard thing happens, I'll already almost feel, and it could be just a mental manipulation, but it will feel like I'm already moving, I'm already free, I'm already in action, um, rather than a sitting duck when something comes for me. And I want to be outside of the circumstances. I want to be outside of what's being imposed. And I can't be. That's not actually a fact. I'm not in control of, of everything. Yeah, no, everything. No, not yeah. something this big. But I can convince myself I am by already setting in motion my action plan. Yeah. And so what I do is I look at the big picture and think, what do I have control over? We're going into another lockdown here in Canada. So I am controlling the things I have control over. And we, my first thought is, okay, well, let's go to the, the mall and buy my kids all the things they're going to need for the next month. Like I do stupid things like go to the grocery store and get a month's worth of stuff so that I don't have to, so I don't have to go in line and wait at a store and be angry that I'm in line at a store. Like it's just silly things like that, that I have. Yeah. I don't have the control, but I go and I, I figure out the things I have control over and I make it happen. Yours is much more tactile. It's much more get your hands on it. Yes. Mine is fortifying myself internally. Yeah. So I'm initiating a deep resolve. And it's 
coming in the form of getting really clear on what I think and pre-saying it, making sure everybody knows what I'm standing on so that I die free. It's it's almost like so that when I go down, you know what I went down for. So then I look at the big picture. I know exactly where I stand. I also know that I have zero control over the stuff that I'm very uh, convicted of. So I figure out what it is I can do to, one, keep my kids safe in terms of mental health. And It's like you can take little bites out of the problem and you can manage them. And that is what gets you through. For me, it's all or nothing. But I'm going to tell you what, I shut down the big stuff. You don't even think about it. I can't go there because I know I don't have the control and I know that I'll lose my mind. I could lose my mind. And so it's not a healthy place for me. And so I shut that down and go to what can I control? And Mm -hmm. I go there. I understand the people around me too and the way they're acting based on their feelings, right? And so I want to be really, and this is the social piece, but I want to be really considerate of that as well. And so it's, yeah, it's just a real struggle right now. Yeah, I think I'm trying to swallow everything and get it all clear in my head. I I want to absorb all of it all at once. So I'm taking in more information and more resources than ever before. And I'm like vacuuming it up so that I can distill everything down to the truth I need to hang on to when it gets hard. What it will amount to, though, is I do feel more grounded. I just know where I'm at and what I think. And there is security that comes from that. And then they end up with a really secure mom. Maybe we don't have all the toilet paper, but I know we have all the toilet paper. <laughs> you have all the toilet paper and I have all the resolve and clarity on why I need to do what I need to do in an existential spiritual way. I'm set. I'm super steady and set, but we don't have the toilet paper. <laughs> I would say too, my kids probably feel the same way. Like I don't waver on where I stand on things. Except for the uh, things you're not interested in really digging into yet. And so then you just say, I just don't have the answers and I don't need to. I know what they are. I just know that I don't have the control. So I'm not going to waste my time in that space. I'm going to spend my time in the space where I know I can control things and having to let go of the stuff I don't have control over. Like if I actually tangibly thought I could take control, I probably would dive in more. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, we're both protecting ourselves from feeling vulnerable to something we don't have control over. And mm-hmm. we do that in different ways. And it involves taking action in whatever way. I wish getting toilet paper was enough for me. <laughs> oh, it's not enough for me, believe me. It's just part of my control mechanism. <laughs> it would just be so straightforward. <laughs> so neutral to me feels like a sitting duck where there's hunters on the shore with their guns aimed and you're just sitting there neutrally waiting to dodge the bullet? It's like, so no. It's funny because your whole premise of things is dodging the bullet. <laughs> My whole sit- sitting neutral is not being effective. I'm not giving, doing, providing. Or maybe if I'm being really, really vulnerable, it's just like, if you're not effective, you're not useful. And if you're not useful, then why are you here? <sighs> it feels like I've spent too much time being attacked. I don't, I don't know how to be any other way at this point. <laughs> like... It's it's very true. Like it's a learned condition. It feels like I would have had to have been in a wide open space to just be for a really long period of time to relearn a new way of looking at the world. Do you think you could ever not be in a space where you feel like it's attacked? I, I can't tell you because I've never been. I've never been. So I there's never been a window of time where either my family wasn't being maligned or hurt or me directly. There's always been one of the two without enough gap for me to learn a new behavior. (laughs) It's just, I can't tell you. I'd like, I think anything's possible. I think all humans, if they're given enough space... 
to breathe could learn something new. <laughs> I just think I might have to be in heaven before that. I don't know. We initiate everything and sometimes it's not ours to initiate. And that is a big learning curve I've been through in the last year. When you see something like a problem spot in someone and feeling like you have to so here's the problem, right? I think that I wasn't a huge contributor of truth saying, except for the fact that it's just because I measured what would be really big to me and the stuff I was saying wasn't big in my head. Right. And I think to the people, if I look at the reaction and I remember that piece, it was big. I just was judging it by my measurements, yeah. not theirs. And yeah, I'm a little bit more calculated, but the what's mine to do has been freeing mm-hmm. because when, and I've said this in another podcast, but when when I heard that, uh, when I heard Suzanne Stabile say that, I remember thinking, it is absolutely mine to do because if I don't do it, no one else will. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I've learned that's true. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not true. And sometimes somebody else comes in and takes it off my plate and I'm freer. Mm -hmm. And that's a real blessing to have learned that. Yeah, I've also left things off my plate and realized that the ball dropped. It was (laughs) yours to do. And I needed to go in and rescue that ball. I'm learning a little bit more about being able to let the ball drop and then show up too. Like, it's okay mm-hmm. to come in later and to try it out a different way first, mm-hmm. which isn't mine. No, I, isn't balance always the way of it? Yeah, we shouldn't be jumping into everything and like stampeding to initiate. And we shouldn't withdraw. And so the world forgets we're even there and we become totally unaffected. So it's about weighing and measuring and not hating yourself if you get it wrong. And I think withdrawing too is, is a safe place There's at a time times, for it. right? There is a time for it, but not so much that we lose connection with humans and our friends and our yeah. spaces and not so much that we miss out on the things we were meant to do. I know with things like jujitsu, the closer you get, the less they can swing on you and the more you can disarm them. So I think when it comes to a lot of things, it feels easier to move in towards them and to sort of get them out of the way. Like the longer something uh, has to kind of be mold over in your brain, the worse it seems to get. Like the quicker you move towards something, the less long-term effect it might have on you but also defensively it's like a peacock that spreads its wings i feel like for us it it feels most safe to be bigger and to move towards something to kind of scare it off sometimes you know it's not always in disarming sometimes it's just an attempt to scare something off because the closer you get the more it knows that oh this is a real threat so even when it comes to conflict with another person i feel like that's applicable I say things that feel brutally honest for a lot of people. So I'm the first one to say, I know I say things brutally honest, but (laughs) that way, you know, I like to come across as self-aware before everyone else points out my faults, which, you know, like everyone, there are many. It is on our terms when we are the ones taking action and moving forward and exploring. Imagine the contrast of sitting there and having something come at you. That feels very unsafe. So in any sort of less than perfect work environment, I take initiative by calling out the problems in that environment way too early on. Because for me, it's not hard to spot the hypocrisy or toxic behavior in management at all. It's it's very apparent because I'd always rather be the manager. (laughs) I also, with my partner, I can never wait and let them bring up the issues. I have to go straight for it. I, I just do, anytime there's any issue over, I, I can't hold on to it. I get so anxious or just 
down because if I'm feeling at all in conflict, I have to immediately dress it, which <laughs> right now dating a nine, uh, they don't like that uh, excessively. <laughs> Sometimes they want to just sit and wallow in their feelings a bit and I will not allow it. <laughs> I'm like, no, tell me what you feel. And also, here's how I feel way too brutally. But I don't know. It's better than leaving things unsaid in my opinion. We have to say the thing first. <laughs> this is my worst thing. I often will say something out loud just to see how people are going to react. Like I initiate the, here's where I stand on this. And I don't take into consideration their emotional state. What or, compels you to throw it out? I, I think I'm testing them. Like, here's where I'm at. You still want to hang out with me? You mm -hmm. still want to be my friend? Here's the honest truth. I don't like being inauthentic. So it's like I throw out the most authentic piece if I'm in a weird place. And then I wait to see what happens. And usually what happens is I scare people. And they kind of mm -hmm. look at you with those big wide eyes. And you're like, oh, shit, I did it again. Because it's almost like a burst of energy that comes over my body and pushes itself out of me. And then I'm like, ah, rain that back in. Mm -hmm. Mine has more to do with I think I know what they're thinking about me, the negative thing. And so I just make sure I say it first. No, I, I describe it as a decoy. And so I put my shit out there and I put it the way I want it so that the other person loses the drive to say something <laughs> that might hurt more. So it's like a truth that I didn't want someone else to name. So I named yeah, it yeah. first. Because well, it hurts less. Yeah. And it's not so vulnerable. Yep. That, and I've heard a lot of our eights say they do the same thing. But then my cousin... She said, why do you do that? It's so interesting. So she's got five in her tri-type. And she's like, why would you put the truth into words and put it out there about like the negative thing about yourself? Because you just drew attention to it. And it's safer to just leave it. Let them come to you. Why would you go and initiate a vulnerable like target on your back? Because then we have control. I know. But she doesn't, she doesn't use her eightness that way. 8-5 goes to their head, right? Yeah. So that makes sense to me because they feel the feeling, but then they go think about that thing first to say mm -hmm. so that they engage their brain, whereas we just don't. Yeah. <laughs> we just throw it out. It feels like they're less offensive. They wait for it to come to them, whereas we move towards more. I don't do it for me. Okay, you do it on their behalf. I do it on their behalf. So if you think like a friend's parent has a thought about your kid... Yeah, you I'll make say sure the thing that, about my yes, kid first. Yeah. But I don't do it about myself. I just throw myself out there. Right. It's almost like an apologetic thing I do. I apologize about my child not going to eat well. Or so that you say it at, first. So I say it. Because it would hurt a lot yep. and make you pissed if they yep. came to you and told you that about your kid. Yeah. And it's almost this like, I see the truth too. Don't think that I don't see the truth. Yes. Don't think that I have blinders on. Like I'm, I'm aware. My mom used to do that with us. She reminds me of you. She would name our weak spots. I remember her doing it with friends. See, that's good that you say that because I need to make a conscious effort to not do this. Yeah. No, here's the encouragement. Um, I liked it. And I don't know if it's because because you I don't like the negative. <laughs> you like to fight. No, back. I like reality. So if she was saying something I didn't think was true about me, I can't tell you the kind of reaction. It would be quite something. Um, right. it's, she was saying true things about me. And one, I love that she saw me clearly. I felt loved by that. Two, I hate the idea that I get presented as some shiny, perfect thing. And then I let someone down. Okay, but my daughter's three. Oh, she wants to be presented as the shiny thing. I know. Right? 
Yes. <laughs> so I have to be careful. If they were eights, it would be very simple. Yes. But they're not eights. <laughs> yeah. This is what my friend Erin, who's a seven, does so well with her kids. And I, I think it is part of the reframing thing as a seven. But I also think there's something beautiful about it. She always believes the best in her kids. Mm-hmm. Always. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I spend time apologizing like I said, I want to be realistic and I yeah. want people to not think I'm delusional when it comes to my children. So I apologize for the thing. Mm-hmm. And then I watch Aaron parent and I think that is beautiful. Like I want to do that. I want to believe the best in my kids and her stuff is not delusional. Right. But she just picks out the best stuff about them. Talks about those things. She talks about their struggles with me, but that isn't their defining piece. Their mm-hmm. defining piece is always where I go to the default of like, I know their faults. Mm-hmm. She goes to the, I know the best things about my kids. Mm-hmm. I do the seven thing for everybody but me. I am really nasty to myself because that's what's going to hurt me more, I think. And so I make sure that I, I think I make myself sound even worse than I actually am. So let's just take it super but it's negative. it's the same thing. It's you saying I'm not delusional. Yeah. I'm overweighting it to the negative for myself. And that more than covers for any potential hurt is what it feels like. When you talk about your kids to somebody, do you say the best thing about them? I really do. Yeah, that's awesome. It feels like a mechanism. So I believe it. It's not that I don't believe it, but it feels fueled with something that I'm trying to figure out what it is. It's that I up it to an almost glossy sheen. So I can't just say something true that's good. I say it with all the intensity of a sexual eight. I overstate the good things. And I think it's because I'm identifying as their protectors. So I'm not just presenting them as they are without any stake. I am overdoing it like, look at me defending you. I am defending you. I am making sure that the world can't touch you quite as much because of the power of my positive backing. Like I am your your biggest cheerleader and maybe that'll fortify you against the world's hurt in this weird way. Whereas I can just say the thing, like just say it, say who they really are and don't put so much energy behind it. I don't know what's with the energy. Yeah, and that's the same for me. Like I could say the same thing but not need to throw it out there like a defense mechanism. Yeah. I could just talk about it. Like it doesn't need to be a... (laughs) Yeah, it feels like it's being used in some way by me and I'm not sure (laughs) exactly what that's about. We always add fuel to things. So we're either fueling it with over positive or we're fueling it with under positive and it's a way of buffering against whatever the opposite thing is going to be. It's pushing against people. It's pushing out throwing things out there right we throw it out there good or bad we put it out there we don't sit with it or put it behind us it's always in front of us the stuff and why can't I just let someone else say the thing like why can't I just wait till they say the nice thing about my kid and I nod and say thank you (laughs) like why can't I just wait till they say the positive or negative thing about me and take it as it comes and maybe we need to do that for homework yeah maybe we should have Enneagram 8 homework yes So how do we use honesty in that kind of forward, moving at, initiating kind of way? (laughs) We sure do. Like saying it like it is. I actually feel like holding something inside that I feel is a truth in front of someone else feels very inauthentic. I feel like if I just throw it out there, then we've got what everyone else is obviously thinking on the table. And then we can just deal with it. What does not saying it feel like you're giving up? It feels like I don't know how to push through or move forward because it feels so fake. Do you feel that? I need it out there. Yeah, the problem is it's so compulsive. It is what makes me feel the most in touch with one. Honesty, for me. It helps me envision what it must be like for them to feel like their whole body is tied to this thing that has to be said. The difference is I don't know if all ones feel they have to spit it out 
they just live in a way that's like very in line but we have to we're external process i think we need to let it out but and i so feel we like go, if Bleh. i let it out it's part of connecting with someone if i let it out then we can connect and regroup which is very different than one it's not connection that they're after they'd want the person to align with their thing whereas i in the end you're right i don't actually care if they end up seeing the same thing i just need to say it for me, it's not the saying it that's so important. It's the putting it out so we can connect on a better level. Don't you think part of it is wanting them to see you clearly? Yeah, I feel like there's a lens in front. If I don't say the the real thing, then I've, I've left a barrier. Mm-hmm. So my cousin, we were just talking on the phone. She said she is struggling right now because there's a lot of truths being put out into the world in really intense ways. And people are putting their lives on the line for these things that are being said. And she said that even as an eight, she's really hesitating to put it out there because she doesn't want to put it out there and for people to not see her clearly, to be like lost in the thing that she said that doesn't actually represent her. Yeah, That is exactly how I would do it too. And putting a truth out into the world versus sitting in front of you and telling you something I think is true are two totally different things. Right. And in social media world, where there's a, a screen between you and the other person is eights our body. We need to have the person yep. right in front of us. That's where you do this back and forth in a way that feels truer and more connective. Yes. Rizzo says eights like straight talk and they become suspicious when others seem to be beating around the bush, which is why the communication style of some of the other types can be a problem for eights because they have difficulty understanding why others won't just be forthright. Yeah. So this is an area where I've had to learn from my husband, who is a nine. He's not a liar. He is also a truth teller and says only what he truly believes. But he says it a day later. <laughs> or he doesn't say it at all. Or he, or just he feels, it. yes, he doesn't feel the need. So I think there is a gift in that too, because not everything we feel like we need to say is beneficial to another human at that time or place, right? Yes. It might be for us, but it doesn't mean it is for them. And I, I keep having this thought going back to social media, where I read something and I think, I wonder if people remember that you are allowed to have a thought and not write it on social media. I like know. We are allowed to think things in our head and then just think them. <laughs> and that's it. Don't have to share it all. <laughs> we don't need to post every thought we have on social media to have everyone else weigh in on. And I think if we turn that around, we could probably think that a little bit about ourselves and how we go into the world. And we probably don't need to say the thing to every person we're sitting in front of. I just had a funny story about maybe I didn't need to say the thing. <laughs> so there was these two friends of mine. And one of them's a two and one of them's a six. And there's just this pattern where I would walk into the room and the two would always comment on what I look like. So she would always say, love the hair, love the dress. And then the six would always like in a very intense way, talk about my soul. Like she'd say something about like something I'd said during the week. So the gist of it is, of course, the thing I liked better was what the six was saying. <laughs> of course, I care more about my soul than my hair. What did I say? It was mean. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this one here is complimenting my soul, but all you ever do is compliment my lips. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
right. And in my head, it was a one of those moments where I was like, oh my goodness, I have to say this true thing, but if I make it sound like a joke, maybe it'll go over okay. And it just didn't. Like, there's no way. The two was very hurt. Like, it was very clear that, and she stopped complimenting my hair and then I missed it. <laughs> But it was just one of those moments where I was like, oh, dear. There was a lot happening in that moment. I think I was trying to translate to the two. Please, I want real connection. This feels like flattery and I want more. And I did that very poorly. Like it was a moment where I was saying something I, I wanted to say. That is their connection. I know. Right? Those are the things that they feel connected to us by saying. And she was being honest, too. Yeah. She genuinely thought. I had nice hair that day. So honesty shows up in all kinds of ways. I don't think we are naturally, without a lot of work, good at honesty and gentleness. Not until later, when we've actually spent some time practicing. And it involves a pause. Okay, want to read the next quote? Because of their self-assertion and directness, eights tend to intimidate people. Others often interpret their in-your-face communication style as anger or criticism. Although eights say that they're just trying to get others' attention and let you know where they stand. I would say that's fairly accurate. Like, I, I don't, not that get your attention, but I would like you to know where I stand. Because yeah. I feel like if you know where I stand, then it's like, if you want me, it's because you want me for who I am. Yeah, it's back to what I always refer to as integrity. I just, I want my inside to match my outside. So that's why I feel compelled to put it outside myself. It's like I'm saying to the world, like, this is who I am, even if somehow you couldn't tell just by, yeah, I'll make it very clear. And do you still want to hang out? Yeah. Like, <laughs> or are you running? Because if you're running, I just need to know now. Yeah, let's just get that over with. Yes. Yeah. Why don't you just go away? If you're going to go away, then be gone. Oh, yeah. So that's the tricky thing is I'll say truly what I mean in the moment. I really, really will. I don't talk bullshit. I genuinely am putting into words and I'm good with words what I'm feeling in the moment. The problem is it's not very precise because it's too quick. I haven't given enough time. I do the same thing, except that then I sit back and go, shit, that's not what I meant. Exactly. And there's some types that give me the benefit of the doubt. Some humans do. And they go, oh, she'll, she'll come around. Like I know. And there's some that you know the second you look at their face Ooh. that you just oh yeah, it. Absolutely. I do that sometimes with my nine friend. I need to think more. <laughs> I think I frustrate head types a lot. Because head types, what they're putting out into the world is what they have thought through. We're putting out what we felt and, and not even emotion. It's like gut. Like, how do you even, how do you even put that into words? Well, and it's and really so, hard to describe that to someone who's in their head, what yeah. that feels like. That my body just knows something's right. <laughs> yeah. And no. the logic. And we're like, there's no logic. Right. Especially there. with like sixes, they really want precision. They want you to explain precisely why you said what you said and what you meant by it. And it will take us a while to sort out what it was we were reacting to. So it doesn't go well sometimes in those. You moments. know, it's sort of sort of funny because we always talk about how we need to give nines more time to think about things. and But we really need that time out too. Yeah. I, don't, I just don't think we realize we need it. It feels unsafe to take the time to wait and work it out. It feels urgent that we get it out right away. And I know, I know that has to do with our idea of what's safe and control and all that. But it's probably safer to be precise. Maybe not always. There are times when precision is what's called for and not immediacy. Yeah, I would agree with that. Right? We're always immediacy. Mm -hmm. 
Except for the ones with five on their tri-type. Yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you lucky five tri-type people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, and I think they'd say that they've done all the legwork ahead of time so they can actually respond with immediacy, but it's already been thought through. They've already done the work so that when the moment comes, they know what they're going to. And whereas, if they haven't, they, they take pause. They pause. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas we don't do the pre-thinking. <laughs> we just react moment to moment. Yay, seven. <laughs> <laughs> Our honesty often sounds like we're saying what is true when if we changed our language a little, it might be better to speak from an honest place about what we believe might be true. The story I'm telling myself, right? That's right. So I find that when I'm actually writing down my thoughts, I'm way more balanced because it is a slower action. Brain to paper is that really necessary. And so I think a good practice for us would definitely be to write something out to get a sense of clarity on an issue so that when we go back in the next time, do I want to engage in this or do I just want to shut this door because it's no longer safe for me? And I think taking that pause sometimes is a boundary for us. It gives us the time to think through what is best for us and how to approach it from a much more careful standpoint as opposed to just reacting, right? Yeah. And another thing that we've been doing too for each other, but also I've been doing it with other people is spilling out that in the moment, that honesty with someone safe, who knows me really well, and I can give like full voice to what I really believe in my bones and I just say it. And then these people, and I choose them very carefully, um, are able to almost be a mirror and they like say the words back to me so I can hear them. And as they do that, they are kind of challenging me to ask myself, do I really, really believe that? Is that really the truest thing or the most honest way of looking at that? And then they help me to really think through whether or not I'm speaking out of a reactive place or whether I really had it right the first time and I'm ready to stand on that thing. So processing with someone else before, like making a stand on something is also very important. And in the moment, we don't get that luxury. That's the tricky thing with reactive types is in the moment, someone's standing right in front of you. And all you have is right now. So I'm honestly trying to work through. Can I get back to you on that? I know, I know, like, what are some sayings we can use so that we can build the pause in right and not feel stupid or weak. So yeah, I think uh, a lot of it is I'm really good at making jokes to like defer it. But there's nothing wrong with just saying like, you know what, if I answer right now, it's honestly not going to represent what I really think. So just give me give me a moment. I'll get back to you on that. I'm feeling a lot of things about it. So I'll let you know. Well, we can wrap up with what is the best part of having this initiating quality and what is the downside. So if we were to sum it up, why is it good that we move toward? Because I think we make things happen. And I think we're effective at times. We can be very effective if we move forward. And sometimes things need to get done at a faster pace than a lot of the world allows for. Mm -hmm. Jerome Lubbus, his nickname for us was um, Disruptors. And to disrupt something means to assert yourself into something that was going nowhere. And make change. And make a change, yeah. So it is our gift to do that. Now, the downside is sometimes we take what's others to do. Right. Right? And we, yeah. don't, we don't make space for others to do what they, they need, need to, to do. do. That's right. Full circle back to my husband, right? Like giving him space to stand up and make a decision about something because I was too quick and I just went ahead and did it. So there it is. All right. 
That's it for today. We hope by now you've realized there's a lot more going on under the surface. And you'll continue to follow along as we take you inside the armor. <laughs>